In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a beautiful thing to behold, especially when it comes to infants. It is the perfect picture how, even in our helplessness, our God comes down to save us. Martin Luther, speaking of the baptism of Jesus, says that when the heavens opened at Jesus' baptism, the evangelist makes the point to say that the heavens were opened, and since that day the heavens have been opened to those who believe in Christ for their salvation. Additionally, Luther describes baptism like this in his great hymn, To Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord. He says, All that the mortal eye beholds is water as we pour it. Before the eye of of faith unfolds the power of Jesus' merit. For here it sees the crimson flood to all our ills bring healing. The wonders of his precious blood, the love of God revealing, assuring his own pardon. Or, as we sing in another hymn, baptism has the strength divine to make life immortal mine. Baptism saves because Jesus saves. We should not separate one from the other. It is in baptism that God brings the saving work of the cross forward in time to us. This is why St. Paul says, for instance, in our epistle reading for today, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now for those who would claim that baptism is symbolic of our life in Christ, they must explain away the plain meaning of that text. But it's not just this one instance that they'd have to explain away. Jesus himself says in Mark 16, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Some will say, well, look, Jesus says you have to believe. Baptism doesn't really save. It's it's faith that saves. But what they neglect to realize is that nobody here is claiming that baptism saves apart from faith. Our catechism plainly states, baptism works the forgiveness of sins rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. And a little bit later on it says, certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. Those who teach baptismal regeneration teach That it is God's word in the water that's doing the work. And that work is apprehended or grabbed onto by the faith that believes what God has said about it. But again, that's not the only passage that deniers of the saving power of baptism would have to explain away. St. Peter, who knew the preaching of Jesus pretty well, says flat out in his first epistle, baptism now saves you. Now, there are more passages than we can shake a stick at that teach this. 
It is not a surprise then that the church's universal practice for the first 1,500 years of her history before some came along that thought they knew better was to baptize your babies. Now, I've said this before to Don most recently, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it again until you're sick of it. And then I'll keep saying it, because that's the way that things really sink in. But new theological ideas are usually bad theological ideas. But that leaves us with the question for today. What impact should baptism have going forward for us? What does Caroline's baptism today do for her for the rest of her life? And what does your baptism do for your life today and on forward? I'm guessing that the vast majority of the members of this congregation were baptized when they were babies, and I know that there were a couple that weren't. But we've established that baptism is the thing that communicates salvation to us, and that it does have something to say to our lives. First, let's take a look at it from the perspective of our gospel reading today from Matthew chapter 5. Here, Jesus takes into his hands the law that he himself had given to Moses in our Old Testament reading on Mount Sinai. Jesus tells us exactly what each of the commandments means. So, for instance, when our old Adam hears, you shall not murder, his first reaction is, well, I've never killed anybody. The problem with this is that kind of thinking is ultimately an act of self-justification. By resting on what you have done, you're not letting the law, letting the word of God do its work in your life. And to make matters worse, this kind of thinking is a back door to works righteousness. God, I haven't done this thing. So obviously, I've earned or I've lived my life in such a way that I can earn my way to heaven. But Jesus preaches these commandments in such a way as to shut the door on any sort of self-justification. Even anger towards your brother, he says, is damnable as taking your brother's life. Looking at a woman who is not your wife with lust in your heart is just as damnable as sleeping with her. And ladies, this same thing goes for you as well when you look at other men. In short, Jesus is saying that our righteousness must be greater than the most righteous-looking men in the Bible. We're the Pharisees and the scribes. Interesting. We normally view these guys as the bad guys, sort of the snidely whiplash types, standing in the shadows twisting their mustaches to see how they can plot the downfall of Jesus. But we only see these guys as bad guys because Jesus has unmasked their filthy rags righteousness for what it really is. Nothing more than a whitewashed tomb. But in their day, the Pharisees and scribes were considered the most pious members of the church. These were like the guys who devoted all their spare time to making sure that the church building and grounds looked just the way they should. They would have been active in the Lutheran Layman's League and in all the organizations in the congregation. In other words... These were the kind of guys that, if you had a son, you'd want him to be like that. And if you had a daughter, 
you'd want her to marry a guy like that. Sure, their lives were very holy looking, but they could no more control the desires of their hearts than you can. If it didn't have, if, if they didn't have enough righteousness to get into heaven just by living their lives in an outward way that looked holy, then do we, in our day, have enough righteousness to live our lives in such a way as to get to heaven, especially in an age of declining and decaying morality that we see around us? If we can't live our lives in such a way as to attain heaven, then where must we go to get it? Well, one of the most troubling things about this current cultural moment is so-called cancel culture. Have you heard of this? If, you, if you've been online, you've probably heard about it. In case you're not familiar with it, when someone expresses something against the cultural way of thinking, the cultural zeitgeist, there are outrage mobs that get fired up to go out and cancel the person. They flood their social media with hateful messages and threats. They go to their employer and try to get them fired. And sometimes they'll do what they call a doxing, which means that they'll publish their personal contact information in order to bring further ruin upon the person. Here's an example. Earlier this year, the outrage mobs went after comedian and late night host Jimmy Fallon for a sketch that he did on Saturday Night Live no less than 20 years ago when he put on makeup to make himself look like Chris Rock. As a result of something that happened almost two decades ago, Fallon was forced into an apology for making people laugh. But the amazing thing is, is that this just doesn't happen to famous people. The mob stops for no one, seeking only to destroy its targets not concerned about the lives that are ruined. And so what do the outraged mobs of the cancel culture want? They want contrition. They want to inflict pain until there is a confession of sins and restitution is made. Unfortunately, with these mobs, there is no absolution. There is no forgiveness. Once you've made the list, you continue to be under scrutiny under scrutiny until you step out of line the next time. Dear friends in Christ, this is a perversion of the great gift that our God has given to us in our baptism. When you look at the commandments, they remind you of your outward fail to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You see, you ought to be canceled by God. In fact, he has every right to cast us into the depths of hell. But instead of canceling you, God offers you a true absolution. That is, true forgiveness for all of your sins, for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your Lord Jesus Christ. In him, your debt of sin has been thrown into the depths of the sea. It has been canceled. St. Paul writes to the Colossians, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
At the cross, the Son of God died that your sins would be canceled. And there in the font, he clothed you with his own righteousness. You were buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, you too may live a new life. Dearly beloved of God, this is the ongoing significance of your baptism. For in your baptism, God has canceled your debt of sin, not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done for you in his death and in his resurrection. When you see the font in the church in front of you, you see in it the place that God has washed away your sins and has covered you with his righteousness. When you have the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit placed upon you in the invocation, and you trace the sign of the Holy Cross on your body, you do so in the remembrance of that day when God gave you a greater righteousness than the Pharisees and the scribes could ever imagine. A righteousness that makes you fit for the kingdom of heaven. And so, when you find yourselves accused by your sins... Remember that you are baptized, that you belong to Christ, who has forgiven you all your sins in his life, in his death, and in your baptism, you have died with him. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.